children. The second was teaching and guiding children. And tonight, the third one will be disciplining your children. <clears throat> so I don't want to bog us down in any kind of language, but the word discipline is one that can give us a couple of different meanings. And if we look it up, if you dive into the dictionary to find it out, you can find a lot of different readings on that. <clears throat> but to start with, if we look at the word discipline as a noun, it's probably the way that most of us would think about it. It's the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior using a punishment to correct disobedience. The little sentence that goes along with that that I'm reading here says, a lack of proper parental and school discipline. And if you heard that or if you read that in the paper or if you said that yourself, you would know what it meant. And so discipline then sort of leads to the controlled behavior resulting from discipline. If discipline is done right, they'll never do it, they'll never do anything wrong ever again. Well, that's not necessarily how it works out, but that's sort of how we would believe it. The other way that we often will think about or that we'll use the word discipline uh, is one that deals with a branch of knowledge or a study in higher education. You might hear somebody say, I studied the discipline of uh, social studies or sociology or English or literature, whatever it might be, this idea of discipline. But this word is what we're going to look at tonight, but I want to go back just a little bit further because you might say, well, <clears throat> discipline in a biblical sense. Well, they're going to tell us that we need to do what we're supposed to do, and then if somebody's not doing what they're supposed to do, then we're going to fix it. We're going to change that. But if you look at the word discipline, the way that we use it in English would go back to Middle English. It goes back further to the Old French, which I'm sure you all studied this week, so I don't want to get into it too deep. And the Old French goes back to the Latin. Okay? It does. But the Latin word disciplina, which means instruction or knowledge. But it actually goes back one further, and I'm going to give you a word. D-I-S-C-I-P-U-L-U-S. Disciples. What does that sound like? Disciple. Hmm. So if we're going to work about disciplining our children, if we take it all the way back to the language, we're going to discipline our children so that they'll be what? Disciples. Hmm. Where do we hear that word in the Bible? 
all the time. What is a disciple? Christ followers. In the Bible, most times it's referred to followers of Christ. Followers of Christ. But that's in the Bible, right? That's that 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 those were people that lived. We, we don't do disciples anymore, right? No, we do. We do. We still do, right? Would you, are you a disciple? I would hope so. Probably, you know, the, the, the disciples that existed biblically is a direct line straight down to you, right? So the idea of discipline, I wanted us to look at that sort of vocabulary to start with because it all sort of ties right back to where we would hope to go with our children. Now, we're going to talk first about disciplining our children uh, tonight. And so I want to turn to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And while we are in the process of turning to the 12th chapter of Hebrews, I want you to give me an answer or give me a thought as to why disciplining is so difficult. Why is disciplining difficult? Doesn't necessarily have to be a religious sense, just disciplining in general. Well, it could be painful. Uh, I know a man that his wife told me they worked together and she said, we had trouble with our girls because when we first were married, my husband told me, I will never discipline the children. Uh Uh, That was just his thinking and that was his stuff. And so then when our girls became teenagers, it kind of became a problem because they weren't worried about daddy discipline because he was never going to do that. And uh, and he clearly must have thought, I don't like that. I don't like the thoughts of, you know, spanking my child or whatever. You know, I don't know what he's thinking was. But, sure. Uh, but she said we, it was difficult because I was the only one doing the discipline, and the husband was never going to do it at all. Okay. And then she said he made that clear for the even had children. You know? So, so the first thought there is that it can be painful or it can be, uh, you know, difficult. Why else is discipline difficult? It's easy not to. What is it? It's easy not to. It's easier not to. Yeah, it's much easier to, easier to not do it. Okay, why else? Well, sometimes we try to discipline others for something they've done, and we've done the exact same thing. Okay. And so we're guilty sometimes, and so maybe we don't do it because I did the same thing when I was 12. You know? There's some guilt or some feelings of hypocrisy in a sense that, you know, what, you know, I'm telling you not to do something that, you know, I'm, I am. Why else? Why else does this one become difficult? The only other one that I kind of comes to me then is discipline requires a commitment. And most people that attempt a, a diet fail in their attempt because why? There has to be discipline, right? There has to be a, we have to discipline ourselves for whatever to it. I'm not going to eat this, or I'm not going to drink this, or I'm not going to eat after this time, or before this time, or whatever it might be. But then when you're sitting at home, and it's, you know, I'm not going to eat anything after 8 o'clock, but it's 8.02, and your stomach's growling, and I mean, I'm just sitting, I'm not really doing anything else. Well, what's really the difference at 8 and 8.30, right? You know, I mean, and I'm well, you know, that we can get a little bit of leftovers. It's you know, well I said eight, but you know, well it's it's, it's probably it's still seven in central time, so it'll be okay. It'll you know That's what we do. We kind of skirt around that discipline there, right? Absolutely. Discipline requires a commitment. And if we're disciplining the first time, but not the second or third or fourth, what good was the first time? You know, let's go back to our diet example. Like, I am the best dieter in the world on Mondays from 8 to 11. Right? 
But then I do whatever I want from the rest of Monday and the other six days. Well, what, 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 have, you, what have you really done? I'm gonna, my kids are always going to behave because that first time we're going to deal with it. And the next time they do something wrong, well, we already dealt with it once. Is that going to work? Is that going to be an effective method of discipline? No, it won't be. So when we talk about discipline, we're going to talk tonight about disciplining our children. And I'm kind of interesting that Dad, you used the answer that you did, because I want us to look at Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. And do you care to read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, please? So in Hebrews, the, chap- the 12th chapter, we-, we read about sort of the discipline of God, okay? And-, and we've talked a lot about in these series of lessons about the importance of whatever we're doing to be able to link back to biblical examples that make it work. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, we sort of read there at the beginning, for at the moment all discipline seems what? Painful rather than what? Rather, it seems painful rather than joyous, rather than exciting, rather than good. But that's true, right? If your kid isn't doing anything wrong, is there a need to discipline them? No, so everything's fine. But the minute that there's something wrong, it becomes the time to discipline. And it will be painful. You've ever heard somebody say something along the lines of, this hurts me way more, so it worse than it hurts you? Anybody, anybody ever said that? Okay. I, I remember well being told that by my, by my parents. <coughs> I remember them, they would say that. I was going to think, yeah, I bet. <laughs> all right. All right. But, but, it doesn't seem to hurt you at all. But as you get older, it sort of makes sense, right? You know, like I'm thinking like, well, I'm, I got to get up. Spangled with a belt. They made up those braided belts. That's the dumbest invention ever. Right? First of all, it's pretty dainty looking, but second, they hurt. Those braided belts. Okay? It's like, we're going to get two spanks with the braided belt. It's like, I'm having a hard time believing this is hurting you worse than it's hurting me. But you get it when you get older, right? Because you're on the other side of that. It sort of makes sense. But it has to hurt. I don't mean physically, but it has to make some kind of change. And verse 11 here is the discipline of God. If God's not going to play the role of disciplinarian, then what's the worth of us living life as trying to live a Christian life? Can, is there any need to? Would there be any need for me to live as a Christian if there's no discipline for what I'm doing? Not really. I mean, I guess I could morally say I'd like to do good. <coughs> He, right. he cannot be. Anybody that uh, that will not discipline their children, you know, not, not talking about people that no. discipline their children, you, you, you don't deserve the title of father. So the idea here of discipline, and, I, and before we go any further, this I, you can use whatever method of discipline you want. I'm not worried about that. But the idea of lacking all discipline, there's not going to be anything that comes from it, grows from it. Let's go to that second part of verse 11 there in just a moment. <coughs> where Annette read, nevertheless, 
Afterward, what? It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to what? Okay, to them who are trained, uh, who have been trained by it. Well, however, you know, there's different translations that kind of all get to the same point. But the idea of yielding peaceable fruit, I think that makes sense to the readers at the time. To yield peaceable fruit. When I read yield peaceable fruit, what does that mean? Something good came from it. You know, we talk about yields when we talk about crops. And the, 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 the greater the yield, the better, right? Anybody who's ever farmed wants, you know, you don't, you don't want something that's going to have a low yield. It's going to be a high yield. But we want a peaceable fruit to come with that. Now, that's probably not a term that we use often, but have you ever ate a bad piece of fruit? Okay? Maybe it wasn't ripe yet. Maybe it wasn't ready yet. Or maybe it was well beyond being ready. Okay? But whenever we take a bite of something that's not good, what do we do with it? <laughs> we spit it out. We're not going to keep that any longer. We're going to spit that out. And if it's an apple and we took a bite and fat, what are we doing with the rest of the apple? Throwing it away as well. We are ridding ourselves of that. That is a, not a peaceable uh, yield of fruit. But if it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The idea being that our disciplining will turn out something worthwhile later. See, when I talked about being younger and not understanding the sentence, this hurts me worse than it hurts you, I didn't understand. I wasn't grasping that concept. Think about the trees that have the fruit. You can't let all the branches grow. What do you got to do? You have to prune them. You have to trim them. Now, the tree can't talk to you. But I would say if the tree could talk while it's sitting there with its branches and you start cutting pieces off of it, that probably hurts a little bit, right? What if you don't cut them off? You have little or no yield. You have little or no yield. You have a worthless tree in many cases. The same thing with our discipline of our children. Thoughts or comments. Let's go to the Old Testament. Proverbs, the 29th chapter. Now, in the book of Proverbs, <coughs> chapter 29, we're going to look at verses 15, 16, and 17. Proverbs, the 29th chapter, verses 15, 16, and 17. Lucille, can you read that one, please? 15, 16, and 17. Proverbs 29, verses 15, 16, and 17. Okay, now there's a number of verses similar to this in the book of Proverbs. This is just the ones that we are going to go with right here. But number 15, verse 15, excuse me, <clears throat> all of these verses are sort of like little couplets and two lines that go with them. The verse 15 here, the first part says what? The rod, rod and rebuke give wisdom. Okay, so what are we reading here? Discipline gives you results. Good. So this is discipline.
the way we the way to handle it, the reason that we could do it would be able would produce results. So when we read here the rod in verse 15, the rod and rebuke give wisdom. So what we can read here, the rod, if we want to talk about you know physically or rebuke, verbally, whatever, but let's put it all under the compass of discipline, it all gives what? So discipline is used with an end goal in mind, which is to what? What's the end goal of discipline someone? Invert right there. Increased wisdom. Okay? And in some cases, the increased wisdom is, I don't need to do that anymore. Okay? I don't need to do this anymore. That's what the, that's what the rod and rebuke, that's what the discipline is for a little. Jackson, you and I know that in somewhat recent. You probably have to do that a lot with your children at home, right? That's not, that doesn't mean that they're bad kids. You know what they are? They're four, they're five, they're six years old. Guess what four, five, and six-year-olds do? They run out the road. They do dumb things, okay? They don't know any better. But once they're told, the idea is, the next time, what might what happen? They won't do it. Or at least they'll think about it, all right? They're going to think about it a little bit, and then you may hear it again, and they may mess up again, but you're going to make that correction again as well. But a child, what? The second part of verse 15. What if you just leave the child to themselves? Bringeth his mother to shame. Bringeth his mother to shame. What is that verse really saying right there? A child left himself with no discipline is going to do what? Whatever he wants. Whatever he wants, okay? And probably not good, Okay? Probably not good. And so that not good then does what to the people who, I guess, should have been teaching them? Shame. Anybody ever heard a sentence similar to this? I just read about so-and-so in the paper. They did this. I hate that for his mom and dad. You ever heard that or said that? What does what that, that mean? What does that sentence mean? Yeah, it's going to hurt them. You're not necessarily worried about the kid because the kid did something dumb, and we understand that. But the mom and dad, they're going to sort of suffer for that. <clears throat> so when we read that, it shall the child left to himself brings shame to his mother. That left to himself there, that lack of discipline, that lack of training, that lack of raising that child. Daniel, have you ever heard anybody say, Spare the rod and spoil the child. I've heard that for years. Proverbs. Well, in verse that's in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. And the New King James Version actually says that he who spares his rod hates his son. The, 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 the spoiled part is, is a term that sometimes is used, but spoiled or hate, either one. I like the word hate right there because to me what we're reading there is if you choose to not discipline your kid, you don't care enough about them to try and make improvements for their life. That's, what I, that's how I read that word hate. Now to answer your question, I don't know. I know that the Bible was written a long time ago. I also know that there are different forms of discipline, and I'm not going to profess to be one or the other. Well, you being a school teacher, you know you can't do that. Sure. But at the same time, that's not the, the school teachers don't want. Those are not my kids. They're my students. They're not my child. And I have a role to play, but the role that I would play with my students is different from the role that I would play with my eight-year-old. Well, some kids think that's discipline. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was always the oldest. 
I was seven years old, Billy was one. And I remember it just like yesterday. Kids have been worried me my whole life. Because <laughs> mom told me to do something. And I said, of course. And I said, in a flippy way. And she just looked at me. And I never have had a spank in my life. But my mother looked at me and I could die. Right. And that's been 59 years ago. And that's the only time she's ever fussed at me. But I felt like I was going to get Right. I think your answer is correct right there. We know, I think we probably have a sense of what is needed for our child. We should. But you have to grow into that. And I will say this, that when Will was really, really young, a couple of times he did something, I just sort of like smacked him on the head. It, it didn't really work. So Mary and I discussed this. We're like, that doesn't seem to be an effective thing. Probably because he weighed 35 pounds when he was one year old anyway. Right? If I spanked him the same time, he might turn around with me. But with Will, one thing that I found is almost like I could just kind of look at him. And like, kind of have the, that, that, you know, disappointed look. He'd melt into a puddle right there. So we kind of realized what worked for him. Now, I'd say if we had a second kid, that probably wouldn't work at all, Jameson. No, no. Did, did Eliana's methods of punishment differ from Max's? Yes. <laughs> and something that you would do to Eliana wouldn't affect Max at all and vice versa, I'm sure. That's just how you've got to find that, okay? You've got to find that. So when Leland, what you're saying there, in verse 24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. I think the last part of that verse is what's most important. The prompt discipline. When there is a mistake that's made, when there's discipline that is needed, when there is teaching and instruction that needs to be done, it has to be done right now. Early. So start, when do you start disciplining the kids? If you're asking, you've already too late. So the idea of discipline here, I think, Leland, I, I would allow you to make your own decision on whether you would want to, uh, you know, how you view the word rod. That's entirely to that. But I think the important part here is the approach and the immediacy that is needed for it. Yes, sir. Well, we've had, when you all were little, we had children that had children. And, and what time does your little child go to bed? Well, it's kind of whenever he wants to. It's a disaster. <laughs> Okay. And that's not beating a kid or anything like that. They're just telling a little kid, kid, you're little, you're going to bed at 8 o'clock. And there's nothing wrong with it. But those, I've seen those little kids up at 11, 30 at night, and they're worn out, and they're right. crying, and they're screaming, and they're hot. Because they're exhausted, you know. Right. And uh, that's this, that's a form of disciplinary. You know, no, bed not 8 o'clock or 8 30, whatever it is. That's it. And uh, we're going to stick to that as a general rule. I think then, too, we can use that word discipline as something that should stay with us. I'm not telling you you've got to have a 9 o'clock bedtime. But for most of us, we're going to be more effective as an adult if we have sort of a discipline that I know I need to go to bed. I know now I need to get up and go to work. I shower at night. I shower in the morning. You know, I, I, I'm going to do this. Fill in the blanks however you want to do it. Maybe going to bed at midnight is perfect for you. Maybe going to bed at 7 is what you need. Whatever it may be, but that discipline that's instilled in us when we're younger would then hopefully carry over to when we're older and we'd still sort of follow that. That doesn't necessarily mean the exact same thing, but the idea of discipline, the idea of being focused in what do I need to do to be better is what I'm going to do.
Verse 16 in Proverbs chapter 29. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increases. I don't know if you're if you some of y'all have different versions that might say something similar but a little bit different. But when the wicked are multiplied, so what I think here is this is a good good follow-up to verse 15. Because verse 15 said you gotta discipline the child. But it said if you don't, it's gonna bring shame upon the mother. And so let's go to the next verse, verse 16. The shame, all these people that are bringing shame on their mother, first part of 16 says the wicked are multiplied. What is what are we reading there? <clears throat> what are we reading at the start of verse 16? They are. And, and there's going to be more people doing more things wrong. Now, until the end, when did people start doing things wrong? <laughs> You're not even tired of reading in the Bible before you start reading about people doing things wrong, right? When will people stop doing things wrong? Now, okay? There's no glorious thing. Well, people didn't used to do things wrong. People always did things wrong. That, that's, that's how it is. So, verse 16 the wicked would be multiplied. But here's the thing. If one person's doing something wrong one time and we fix it, it's going to be better going forward. But if we don't and then other people start doing something wrong, what kind of problem do we have then? A really big problem. It's hard to fix that. Okay? You might have heard saying it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube, right? Go on and do that tonight. See if you can do that. That's, that's an impossible task to do. We had a girl that came to, got off the bus a couple of days ago, and she came, well, she went and told somebody else, but eventually another kid came to me, and he said, this girl's talking about she's worried that somebody's going to go out of school. I was like, that's a big deal, probably didn't talk about that. So I called her down, I was like, hey, why is this boy telling me that his girlfriend said that you told, you know, she's like, well, I'm going to tell you. On the vocational bus, she to ride the bus over the vocational school. She said, on the vocational bus, there's a piece of paper in the back of the bus. And she said, I looked at it, opened it up, and she said, it was like a map of the school. Oh. She said, it had like breaker boxes and where they were located and doors and windows. And she said, they're probably thinking like they're going to cut these breakers so that the lights will go out. And they can, I was like, probably. Or maybe they're in the electricity class and they're learning where the breaker boxes are. She's like, oh, well, you know, I didn't really think about that. It's like, oh, you know what you did think about? You got off the bus at 11.07 and it's 11.55 and for the last 48 minutes you've been telling your friends somebody's going to shoot up to school and I got parents calling, concerned, worried. Her fear multiplied. What would have been a real easy fix for her would have got straight off the bus, come to me and told me that, and I said, maybe we're going to look into it, but I'd say it's probably one of our electricity classes, or it may be one of our drafting classes, or one of our construction classes, and it's a assignment that they've, not, that they've left on the bus. Instead, 45 minutes becomes, now i got to talk to all kinds of people to try and get that toothpaste back in the tube. Right. <clears throat> Verse 16 when the world, when the wicked are multiplied, transgression increases. There are going to be more problems. There are going to be more difficulties. Verse 16, but the righteous <clears throat> will see their fall. What does that mean? The second part of verse 16, but the righteous will see their fall. The righteous will see the wicked fall. Okay. 
How many of you have ever seen the wicked? We'll just use that term real loosely. The wicked, the people at the start of verse 16, increasing their transgression. How many of you have ever seen people doing that and think, looks like they're having a pretty good time? You ever seen Be, be honest. Be honest. We ever seen it? But it's like, well, it seems like these people that are doing wrong living a pretty good life. That ever popped up in your head? Anybody ever thought that? You're your only human, right? You're only human. So then the second part says, but the righteous will what? Shall see their fall. So let's put you in one of two categories. You're either in this, this increase uh, transgression or you're in this righteous group. So right now it looks like this increased transgression group is, is, is looking pretty good. But the Bible says you're going to see their fall. Well, maybe, right? But those people that are living crazy, sometimes they live to be 100 years old and you fall over there at 40. But what is the fall here that he's talking about? Well, I, I believe in the old adage, crime doesn't pay. My brother David says all the time, you do anything you want to if you're 50 years old. You can drink as much as you want. You can dope as much as you want. You can sleep or do whatever you want until you're 50. But it catches up with you. And we can go down a list. I can name 10 people right now in Gary County. They were the party boys in Gary County, or girls. And they're all in the graves right now, okay? 50, 48, 32, you know, 27. Uh, very, very young. They, they didn't last very long because they went to extreme with it, okay? Mm-hmm. Way, way, way too extreme. And when you hear those people have died of a drug overdose at 45, it doesn't surprise you. Well, they were smoking marijuana in the, in the fourth grade. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't surprise you by the time they're 35 or 40 that they're in deep trouble, you know. Someone's in the penitentiary. You've spent a long time with him. You, you will see their fall. Now, there's exceptions. There's people that are, live perfectly wonderful lives and they die very young. That's, under, that's not what this is talking about. Crime doesn't pay. Uh, anybody that's in the penitentiary right now say, was it really, really worth it to shoot that guy in the bar? And they'll say, man, I wish I'd never drunk. I wish I'd never went in that bar. You know, because now I've got 20 years to serve or whatever. Uh, so if, if you will see their fall. And if, if not on this earth, you will at the judgment. Sure. So how do we fix it then? Well, I think let's go to verse 17. Verse 17 at the beginning, as uh, Lucille read a moment ago, correct your son. By the way, when the Bible uses language like son here, they're talking about your child in general. Correct your son and he will what? That's all we ever wanted, right? A little bit of rest. How many of you have ever thought, I'd just like to lay down and sleep for about a month? (laughs) All right, James? Maybe you should correct Cambry and she'll give you rest. That's what it is. Tell her, you can't get up at 3 in the morning. That's just not going to work. Okay? <laughs> Jill said the other day that she told the other thing, she's, and Jimmy was there, she said, I'd like to just go home and just stay an hour at my house and wash the dishes. You know, that would be right. restful for her right. compared to sitting at the hospital or going right. to the hospital. Right. You know, set through a test. It, it would be restful. Sometimes you just need to rest, you know. And what's restful to one is right. not to another. But, you know, and a lot of times I'd say the last thing Jill would want to do was to do the dishes. But right now, that seems like a restful thing. But it says in verse 17, as we said there, as we read, that correct your son, comma, and he will give you rest. So, if I'm wanting that rest, whatever that rest might be, that peaceableness that we talked about in the earlier verse, what do I got to do first? Correct. I got to do that correct. Because if I don't correct, if I don't teach, if I don't instruct, if I don't discipline right there, 
can I expect the second part of that verse to come true? No, we can, we can rewrite that and say, don't correct your son, and he will what? Not give you it. It's real simple. It's just add a word here or there. Make, it, make the tense change a little bit. All of a sudden, you got all kinds of problems. Second part of verse 17, yes, he will what? Give delight to thy soul. What does that mean? Peace, pride. Delight to your soul. You don't hear the word delight a lot, but Boo uses that word a lot. Boo describes people, she'll say, they're just a delight. You don't hear that much anymore. But you would never say that about somebody that you didn't like. You wouldn't say it about somebody that was bad, somebody that drove you nuts, okay? You'd describe somebody as being a delight. That's the most positive way you could describe it. A delight to your soul, okay? What's the only thing that goes with us when our life is over? Our soul. To me, reading that sentence there, a delight to our soul, means I'm wanting to put something positive into my soul, right? I don't exactly understand how the whole heaven and hell thing works. But to me, what I'm doing on this earth, the more delight I can put into my soul, the better, the more that I've got to take with me when this life is over. Because the soul is what's left. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 12 to finish up. Started with Hebrews chapter 12. We'll go to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Linda, would you read that for us, please? <coughs> Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoso loveth instruction, loveth knowledge, but he that hath hateth the truth is Hmm. Now, it's easy for us to sit around here and say, well, this is how you need to discipline. Okay? This is how you got to do it. I'm really good at it. You could be better. Right? It's easy to say that. The problem is, there's two parts on that discipline side. Because if I'm the discipliner, who's the disciplinee? Who's being disciplined? That second part, that person that's being disciplined, has to be aware that we love them in the process. Because if I'm disciplining you with no love, how are you going to grow from it? Can you grow from it? Now, I said a minute ago, Leland, about my students, and I'm going to come back to that because I, I want to hold on to it for a second. We have a young man at school who's been through a lot in his life, and he's really grown. So he's a junior in high school. He's grown so much over the last couple of years. When he first came to high school, I was just going crazy. Never knew what he was going to get. Now he's calmed down. He plays ball. He's a good kid. He gets in trouble a little bit here and there, but not much. But today, he kind of had a little blow up. So he comes into the office, and he's sitting in one of the, uh, one of the people in the office. He's sitting in their office. And we kind of had a thing where me and the other assistant principal have kind of started saying this to these kids. And yes, you got to understand, you got to hear it the right way. But whenever they get kind of worked up or whatever, as they leave, we'll say, Joe, love you. And it kind of 
disarms him a little bit because truthfully, I've probably not had a lot of people that have told me that in the first place. So he's in this office and his head's down on the desk and he's not mad. He's been mad and he's kind of got to have that. He's got to have that toughness because if I got sent down here and I was mad, I got to maintain that. Otherwise, it looks dumb. Maybe I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have done it in the first place. I don't want to look bad, so I got to kind of maintain toughness. So I talked to him a little bit. You know, we explained what we what we've done wrong. I know, I know. I should have. I just handled it wrong. Is what he said. We walked out. I looked back and I called his name. He kind of looked at me. I was like, "Love you." He started laughing. He was disarmed just like that. But he also knows that there's people there that do care about him. When we're dealing with these lessons about how to work with children, discipline has to be there because you love the person that you're disciplining. They have to understand that as well. If they don't understand that, it's not going to be effective. It cannot be effective. Now let's put it to use in the church. Is there discipline in the church? There absolutely is. I'm not your father. You're not my father. I'm not your son in the church. But how does church church discipline work? Well, just the very nature of uh, acknowledging God as our father and respecting and loving him as you should, that will, uh, you will, I will, I want to attend the services. I want to worship him in spirit and truth. I want to do what he had asked me to do. And I will do what he said. That's the, that's one of the disciplines there. Now, when someone gets, uh, gets away from the church, then the church would have to discipline them. Okay. They bring shame and reproach on the church. They can't just be embraced and say, what's okay, everything's good. Because it's, it, it just, it's not proper. It's just not the right discipline. Okay. So there's, there's the self-discipline. You know, you're committed to the cause of Christ when you believe in it, you want to do what you have to do. And then there's also, there can be church discipline, you know, and, uh, and there has to be from time to time. We can't, we can't stand up there and say, well, singing is okay, you know, and because Susie does it, it's okay. You can't do that. Uh, so there, there is discipline from, and God finds this to be wrong, you will be judged for this, and we preach and teach it all the time. And uh, so there has to be this because there's consequences. Did Paul have chastised the church for that when the, the man had his father's wife and he said y'all are puffed up about it which right. you should be doing something about this and in my relationship with the church over the years that's something that seems to kind of go on the back burner is yeah. discipline I, you know, I guess they just hate to do it or well we might drive them away for good you know all the same answers from the start of the class about our children work just as well when we think about discipline in the church. Now, on the flip side of that, as a Christian and a church member, do we have to be willing to accept discipline if necessary? Absolutely. I think verse 12, chapter 1, or you're right a minute, chapter 12, verse 1, sort of tells us that. First part, as Linda read, whoever loves instruction. Does yours say something besides instruction? Knowledge. Knowledge. Well, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But that instruction, that's talking about discipline. That's talking about the teaching. That's talking about the reproof, the correction. So I should love instruction, discipline, right? Do we like being disciplined? No, right? Anybody's spouse ever disciplined? (laughs) You did this wrong. Wouldn't it be nice if you could take this or do that? 
Well, nobody wants to be fussed at, complained about, right? Now, you know, you don't, you don't want that. That Chevrolet guy, he's there. <laughs> that discipline, it, the Bible tells us there, who he loves that instruction loves what? Knowledge. Okay? So what it's saying there is you take that correction, you put it here, and you have a greater understanding, a greater knowledge of what you're supposed to do. You gotta have that, right? How can I grow without any knowledge? I use the little math example. Go do the work, kids, you'll be fine. If I'm giving the instruction, can they ever learn the math problems? Can't. Now, in many cases, the book of Proverbs gets very blunt. And chapter 12, verse 1 gets very blunt as well. I like the New King James. Chapter 12, verse 1, second part. But he who hates correction is stupid. He who hates correction is stupid. What does that word mean right there? Unwilling to learn. Unwilling to learn. There's a big difference in dumb and stupid. Okay? Some, you know, the word dumb, maybe I can't understand. Stupid is I'm choosing not to. He who hates correction is stupid. I don't want to hear it. What? Other thoughts on disciplining your children. The next time that I teach, we're going to be talking about setting an example. To wrap up, we've spent the last few weeks, we've talked about loving our children, teaching our children, uh, disciplining our children, and next week we'll talk about setting an example. Hopefully you have enjoyed it. I appreciate it very much.